0: Coming up next on Golf Today, Lydia Ko joins the program a day after winning at Gainbridge. We'll ask her how a quote from John Rahm drove her success. Plus, newly crowned Farmer's Insurance Open champ Luke List joins us. How he beat Will Zalatoris in dramatic fashion for his first PGA Tour win. And we'll recap Victor Hovland's thrilling win in Dubai. An action-packed two hours of golf today from Orlando starts right now.
1: Golf Today, brought to you by PointsBet.
0: Hello and welcome to Golf Today. I'm Matt Adams, joined by Rex Hoggard. We have officially hit the start of Olympics Week at NBC, so we're using facilities all over the world, and for the next few weeks, we will be on the road. This week, we'll be doing our studio shows from NBC Sports Building in Orlando, now populated by NBC Sports Next Team. So, a home game for Rex and for me, All right, Rex, let's talk about what we saw this week. We had snow, we had football playoff games, and we had wall-to-wall golf. Was there football? I don't even remember if there was football. <laughs> I never got off my
2: couch, and I love the way the ebb and flow of this weekend works. And we don't get it. I understand this is a one-off. But, yeah, the PGA Tour finishing on Saturday out at Torrey Pines with a very, very exciting finish that we're going to get to. Then on the East Coast Sunday morning, we had Dubai. And again, a very, very exciting finish with a very, very exciting champion. And then it went straight to the LPGA, which was about as good of a start as the LPGA could
0: have had. It was an absolute buffet of golf all the way around. Let's take a look at the leaderboard, how it finished at the Farmers Insurance Open. List hands out at atop on 15 under par. Look at that one shot behind. John Rahm, Cameron Tringali quietly, and Jason Day would we'll definitely be talking about John Rahm and Jason Day today finishing just one shot out of the playoff. All right, so from there... Let's hear from both. First, Luke List in how you are feeling immediately following that victory. And then to Will Zalatoris with his thoughts after losing in the playoff.
3: It still hasn't sunk in yet. I mean, I told myself I was just going to be happy to get in a playoff. And for that to happen, um, I was super positive, just kind of warming up for an hour again. And mm-hmm. told myself I was going to birdie the playoff hole if I got in. And um, even that lie was plugged. And I was like, okay, I can still make birdie. And just was super positive, And it worked out in my favor. Fought like hell all day, and, um, you know, kind of like I said earlier, I was kind of more disappointed with the amount that I left out there in the second and third round. I thought today I battled really well. Um, I thought the putt I hit on the 72nd hole, I thought I made it. Um, you know, I just needed a hair more speed, and, you know, we I've seen enough putts through the years coming down that hill to know that that putt just doesn't go left, and, you know, happened to go left. So, um, but, you know, a lot of fun today. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of... The emotions that I'm kind of feeling are a little bit from Corn Ferry. Um, right before I got my first win, I horseshoe one from about 15 feet, then won the next week. So um, I know my game's really close, especially, uh, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough I'll be playing next week, too. And on a few golf courses, I know really well.
0: A fascinating finish, as you noted at the open of the show today, Rex. And here we have two players that are so distinctive because of their ball striking. But this one, it, it really wasn't about the brawn of the big stick. It was more about the subtlety, maybe sometimes the mystery of the flat stick. And I just was listening to what Luke said there. And he said, "Remains super positive, I think, were the words it, it, that I came out so. of his mouth. Yeah.
2: Well. That's not always easy for a guy like Luke List or Will Zalatoris. I spoke with Will about this just a few weeks ago in Palm Springs. Look, he is one of the best ball strikers on tour, just like Luke List, a very, very good ball striker. Sometimes he struggles with the putting. And to come down the stretch and do what he did, to put it in context, when you start thinking about, okay, how was this putting performance as good as what he might have done or better than what Mm -hmm. he might have done in the past, so far this season on the PGA Tour, he ranks 185th on tour in strokes game putting. This week on Thursday, or first round, sorry, Wednesday, he was That's first in the, in the field. He was absolutely phenomenal, and it, and it really came down to putting. Go back to the 72nd hole, which both players talked about. One made a crucial 13-footer for Birdie, which got him into the playoff. That was Luke List. And one missed
0: about an 8-footer for Birdie that would have given him the outright win. It's amazing. In fact, let's take a look at the performance of Luke List and what he did with the flat stick. There you saw strokes game putting plus 1.24. He finished the week. You heard Rex talk about the opening round. Uh, Tight was first, but he finished eighth, which you would say, oh, that's understandable for a guy that won the tournament, right? But for Luke List, this was a massive departure. Approach putt performance. How often do you hear this stat? One foot, seven inches. That ranked him second in the field. That is control on greens that are tricky. Putts made over 10 feet. He had nine of them that had him tied for first. So I guess that the 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 big question is, what happened with Luke List? Thirty-seven years old, not always easy to to treat an older dog on tour. Mm -hmm. New tricks, but he he has definitely new tricks here. What changed? I think he just started working
2: very, very hard. He and his swing coach, Jamie Mulligan. Anybody that's ever met Jamie will tell you that, look, he has a way of presenting things to his players, of explaining things to his players that is going to keep it super positive, like he brought up, like you and I have talked about this before yep. when it comes to Mulligan. He's a very interesting coach, and I think eventually it's sunk in with Luke, and he understands it would be very, very easy for me to complain. We saw it two weeks ago with John Rom when he was walking off of a green at, at, uh, at the American Express, and he clearly wasn't that, happy that it had become a putting contest. In this particular case, it's obvious that Luke decided that, okay, here's the process that we have created. I'm going to stick with the process. One of those stats you just pointed out is amazing to me. He was tied for first in the field in putts over yep. 10 feet. If you look at what Will Zalatoris does statistically, he's 110th when it comes to putts from 10 feet over the course of the season. That's the difference. It, it doesn't
0: take a lot to sort of dissect this one in my mind. No, it's, it's, it's fascinating. There's no doubt about that. And, and when it comes to putting, uh, Stephen Sweeney is a coach based out of Florida that Luke List started working with only in December. So he started working really hard on that putting. He was asked immediately following the tournament, what did you change? And he said, everything. Yeah. What about Will Zalatoris? Let's take a look at what Will Zalatoris did this week, and this is absolutely fascinating to me from Kevin Casey. He, if you lose to zero players in the field in regulation when you have negative strokes gained putting in every measured round, that's only happened two other times: Scott Verplank, 2007, AT&T Byron Nelson for a win; Steve Flesch, 2007, at the Barracuda Championship. They both went on to win, and then of course Will Zalatoris. This week where he loses in a playoff. So, you know, the thing, Rex, that, that kind of gets me thinking is that I can't remember a time in the game where so many young players are, are either a saw grip or, or, or left hand low. They're somehow manipulating their hands on the putter grip so that they get as close. Can you think of a time when so many players are resorting at such a young age to say, I want to find another way? We were talking about it this morning, and I think that
2: changing in attitude, whereas players of a previous generation, and not that long ago, I mean, if you go to Tiger Woods, if Tiger Woods would have come out of college using a a cross-handed grip or the claw grip, I think probably would have broken the Internet if the Internet would have been around back then. But in this particular sort of time that we're living in, it's just not an issue. I remember when Jordan Spieth first turned pro and talking with an equipment representative on a PGA Tour range and asking, does it concern you that he uses a left-hand low grip? And it was, no, I just want him to get it in the hole as fast as he possibly can, whatever it takes for him to make putts. Last year at the Hero World Challenge through three rounds when it looked like Colin Morikawa was going to run away with that, I called Mark O'Meara, who was the reason why Colin Morikawa went to the saw grip and has had all the success he has had. And, again, this goes back to it was something he was comfortable with. It was an obvious fix to whatever it is he was dealing with at the time. And they get better and better at it. We just talked about Luke List. Why was he better this particular week? Because he hasn't given up on the process. It's the same thing with these young players
0: now. Uh, You know, I have some good news for you. Luke List is standing by. We're going to get to him on Golf Today today. Very much looking forward to it. We're going to keep the ball rolling right here after this break. The man is gonna join us. we will back to talk about, did he get the trophy there for little Ryan? Fresh off the W Tory Pine. Stay with us.
1: Golf today. Brought to you by Points Bet. This season, Don't Just Bet. Live Your Bet Life. And Wing Grips, the best grips in golf. And Bushnell Golf in the New Wingman crank up your game and by Cobra LTDX drivers engineered for the longest total distance Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever what's that mean it means never cutting corners ever it means cooking not processing it means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection then twice baked to layer the flavors it takes more time but you can taste the difference
4: This tweet was sent
0: out by the PGA Tour. Luke List claims his first career PGA Tour title at the 2022 Farmers Insurance Open in his 207th start at the age of 37 years and 15 days. It is an honor to be joined by Luke List, fresh off his victory. Luke, first of all, congratulations.
3: Thank you, guys, very much.
0: How are you feeling? What are the emotions going through? Is it as you expected it would be to have your first win on the PGA Tour?
3: Yeah, it's, um, you know, obviously the in the moment, just watching that highlight there was beyond thrilled to, to share that with my family. And I'm, it couldn't have happened in a better better setting. So it was worth all the wait um, just to have them there and to have it happen at Torrey Pines. I'll always have, have that to cherish. Luke, when you,
2: they just brought this up, 207th start on the PGA Tour. What were your emotions? What was the plan going into the playoff with that first victory hanging in the balance?
3: Yeah, I mean, I was just trying to get to the playoff. I think that, you know, I was lucky. There was so many good players at the top of the leaderboard to just to make the playoff. I really thought I was going to be one or two short, but as, as time kind of progressed um, to, the, to the end there, it really, you know, when it came down to Will, um, you know, I was just kind of hitting some balls and, and just chilling out with my caddy. Um, once, I, once I got into the playoff, I knew I was going to make birdie, and that was kind of the game plan whatever whatever it took to make birdie. And, you know, even walking up to the plug lie in the fairway bunker, um, I still didn't deter from my game plan to, to make birdie. And just to be able to hit that shot under the gun was really cool.
0: Luke, you, you, you've you mentioned that a couple of times post that you knew you were going to make birdie. You, you just had that planted in your brain, almost as if it manifested itself and how it played out. Is that typical of you to, to, to plant a seed like that, a goal, and then see it to fruition?
3: I think so. I mean, I've had to work really hard on my middle game, um, especially over the last several years, you know, um, but there's, there's a lot of factors that, you know, have, have led me to here. And I think that um, just that extra level of positivity in in the moment um, definitely helped obviously to um, believe in myself and believe that I could do it. And it was my time, um, you know, and, and obviously a lot of, a lot of lucky things had to go my way, but um, in the moment, I definitely believed I could, I could hit that shot. And I've, I've hit that shot a lot in my mind, you know, just on the range at Virginia Country Club with my coach, Jamie. And, you know, just with all the elements and everything, I knew exactly, you know, what club to pull and how far I was playing. And um, just drew, drew on a lot of experience that I've had in the past. And that was cool, again, like I said, to pull it off.
2: Luke, we just talked at length about your putting last week compared to what your normal average is. When you look at the changes you have made, are they more mechanical? <laughs> or mental
3: yeah you know i i heard you guys were talking um about steven sweeney and i give him all the props in the world and um i met with him the first week of december and and he you know pretty much changed my entire perspective on putting and yeah mostly mechanical but but um you know it is such a mental component that goes into it And i think that once i got the proper mechanics going in in the right direction then i was able to gain some confidence and get get my mind right that, you know, this is an this is an asset for me and this is something I can use to to, to play well and not not be a deterrent part of my game like it has been most of my career. And um, I'm excited to keep progressing and keep working with Steven and getting better and improving.
0: How excited are you about this moving down the road? How much does a victory like this, a breakthrough victory, is, is your first in the PGA Tour free you up moving forward?
3: Yeah, you know, I think a lot of guys in their career, once they get that first one um, – you know, it's interesting how it how it transpired. You know, I think that I've played some good rounds. You know, near the lead and gotten beat a couple times, and I've been a little nervy and and not closed the door a few times too. And I think that you know, this it just shows you you know you can you can kind of win from any different position. You know, coming from five back was 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 nice, and um, you know I think I'll have this to draw back on regardless of where I am. You know, going into certain Sundays moving forward, and um, just to just to close the door and and to to you know, get that first one is is a definite monkey off the back. But I think that you know, moving forward, you know, it's it's contagious. I think that um, you know, it's addicting, and I, I really want to keep uh, you know, knocking on the door and closing out some more wins. Luke, I think you had the better
2: part of two hours after you finished your round before the start of the playoff. <clears throat> what did you do to fill that time? Were you nervous? Were you anxious? Were you relaxed?
3: Yeah. I mean, the kids are the great equalizer. So I kind of was just hanging with my family and, you know, my daughter was just mowing down a cookie and just, we were just hanging out and, um, you know, just talking about the day and talking about what she was up to at school and um, just, you know, just normal family stuff. And then we, um, once the leaders I think got to 15 or 16, that's when I kind of made my way out and hit some putts. And um, also from there, then went out and actually had a really kind of relaxing warm up or warm down, whatever you want to say, you know, I was hitting balls on the north course, which is right adjacent to number 18 um, on the south course. So I could hear everything that was going on. I, I was expecting Rom to make birdie, and I'm sure he was too. And, um, you know, so I dodged a bullet there. And then when Will missed his putt, um, I had a really nice just kind of session where I was hitting some balls and I felt really good about my rhythm and transition in my swing. And um, yeah, I was ready to go once, once uh, Will missed the putt in the uh, regulation, I was ready to go.
0: Luke, you carry yourself now with such a, a sense of serenity. I mean, you talked about experience being able to pull off the shots that you did that ultimately secured your win. But I wondered how much that is about having the family around, being a dad. I mean, you got you finally got Ryan that little trophy.
3: Yeah, no, it's it means the world that they were there and to share that with them. You you obviously could see the excitement on my face, and um, you know I do care myself a certain way because I don't think that I played my best golf if I'm too high or too low, but, you know, I was nervous the whole day and I was, you know, just felt like <laughs> once I got the playoff again, it was my time. And, and, you know, she's been on me for a little while since she's been talking to get her a trophy. And um, it was, it was just um, to share that with my, my beautiful wife, Chloe and, and have our, you know, my son there too, Harrison. It was just special. It, it was something I'll always remember. And hopefully there's more to come.
0: Uh, we do too, Luke. Thank you very much for your time. Congratulations, and
3: we wish you the very, very best. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. All
0: right, let's take a look at the Comcast Business Tour top ten. And he, who you just heard from, with his win on Saturday, collects 500 FedEx Cup points and moves into number four in the standings. Hideki Matsuyama still leading the way. It was a stellar week of golf for Lydia Ko who picked up her 17th LPGA title on Sunday. She's only 24. Karen Stupples joins next to break down all the action from the Gainbridge LPGA. Let's take a look at the final scores, the final accounting in Dubai. And there you see Victor Hovland once again a winner around the world. And that playoff with Richard Bland who's who's just absolutely surged in his veteran years. Rory McIlroy as we mentioned fading actually hitting his second into the pond fronting 18 finishing in third place alone at 11 under par. So for Victor Hovland he was asked afterwards by Tim Barter whether world number one is within his sights.
1: This win takes you to third in the World Rankings. Should Ram and Morikawa be worried?
3: They, uh, I, I got a lot left to, uh, to prove to be able to beat those guys, you know? But, uh, this is, uh, this is a good start and we'll see what happens.
0: Rise in efficient World Golf Rankings for Victor Hovland. In 2019, 680th in the world. And then you can see the ascent from that point on was very distinctive, very dramatic, and at this point, very close to the top. He is currently at third. Eddie Pepperell, ever the character, put out the following tweet, thought I was a bit old for this, but Victor Hovland is my favorite golfer. Rex, I'm guessing that that's an emotion that a lot of people are feeling about Victor Hovland. Aside from the pure talent that we see, He has this killer instinct that that he doesn't seem to get consumed by the moment. And it's childlike. I mean,
2: I don't want to call him a child and not being defensive at all here. But I think when you watch him play, it's just fun to watch. He always has a smile on his face. And we talked about the shots in on 18, first in regulation, and then in the playoff. He just doesn't seem to have a gear that is slower than what he moves at. He always seems to be looking at what is the boldest shot? What shot can I pull off? And he pulls them off more times than not. I do want to add... Victor Hovlin might be his favorite
0: player, but I think Eddie Pepperell is still my favorite follower on Twitter. <laughs> That's true. It's a very fun follow on Twitter at that. But what is it about Victor Hovlin that, how would you define, let me put it this way, the it factor? Again, I'll go back to the idea that he's enjoyable
2: to watch. Covering the smile, and- the smile. Going back to last year's hero, I, he was just—he was so happy just to be in that situation. And I think sometimes, even at that age, at, at that age, it can become a grind. And it's not a grind. He still lives in Stillwater, where he went to college. He still hangs out with all of his friends, and he plays golf with that abandon that we just talked about. I, I was really concerned after the Ryder Cup. Not because I thought that mentally it would be such a hit, but it was going to be hard for a player playing in his first Ryder Cup to take that kind of defeat. Well, he was
0: also touted going in. People were saying he's going to go 5-0. and oh.
2: Yes, and to take that kind of defeat, the whole European team took that kind of defeat, but I was curious of how he was going to bounce back, and clearly what
0: he has done since then shows that there was going to be no after-effect whatsoever. How important do you think he is when we when we look across the spectrum of the game right now, and we have a lot of stars, we have a lot of young stars, where does he fit in the mix? Well, you look at where he's at in the world ranking right now. We just were talking about
2: him being world number one. He's world number three right now. and We kind of got into the conversation he was asked about getting to world number one. And I had this conversation on Sunday with my colleague Ryan Lavner. And he said, absolutely, he's going to get to world number one. He is going to get to world number one. I truly believe that. He has the skills. He has the it factor that you just pointed out. And he has the drive. It doesn't look like he is slowing down at all despite everything that he has done. I will say this just as a caveat. He doesn't get to world number one in a vacuum. There are a lot of people around him, chiefly John Rahm, who doesn't look like he's slowing yeah, down. He's yeah, he's <laughs> Now, Colin Morikawa is a bit of a different conversation. He's second. But then everyone else that's a aligned behind him, I still think he's going to have some things have to fall
0: in his direction. But certainly he's heading in that direction. What do you think about Hovland? Because you were there at the Travelers when he was introduced to the world at that press conference for the very first time in terms of his ascent, in terms of working on parts of his game that weren't quite as strong, like his wedge play, et cetera. If you look at – they kind of came out as a threesome, right? If you look at what Colin Morikawa did straight
2: out of college, Victor Hovland and Matthew Wolf was in that conversation. I remember talking with people in the range, people that know a lot more about the golf swing and a lot more about tour golf than I do, and they all pointed to Victor saying that he's probably the most complete player at that time when they all turned pro. He's probably a little bit the more consistent of all the players, and this went more to Morikawa's putting than anything else. You can certainly talk about his ball striking – But I think he's only gotten better in those areas that you've talked about. And
0: if he continues to do that, then, yes, I'll fall in line behind Ryan Labner and say absolutely he's going to get the world number one. And it seems like he's getting stronger as well. I mean, that tee shot at 17, 338 yards away is an example. I was taken by that highlight because he drove the green. And when I think about Victor Hoblin, I don't
2: put him in that category of a Bryson DeChambeau. But he's certainly plenty long enough. But when he has that type of firepower, not a big body, but he can certainly move it out there. It's not going to be a weakness in his
0: game whatsoever. Talking about firepower, let's take a look at some of the, how do I call them, low lights from Rory McIlroy at the par 4th, 17th. Same hole oh, we were just talking about. This is his tee shot. We have seen this from Rory over the last few weeks. It's a,
2: worth a longer conversation. But coming down the stretch, you have to worry where his head is at during
0: these close matches. He'd have to chip out from there and then get up and down for par. He would stay at 12 under heading to the last. Okay. Rory McElroy at the last. Par 518. This is his second from 267. Supposedly mud on the ball, from what I understand.
2: Watching it, there was mud on the ball. Again, some people might question the play and how aggressive he was. I don't. That's Rory McElroy. That's what you bring to the game, that's your chief asset.
0: Go with it. This is for par. So that would deny Rory McElroy ultimately being in the playoff. He would finish an 11 under, one shot out. And one under, a 71 for the day. There you see his card. Promising on the front nine, not so much on the back nine, particularly with the way that he has finished. So I guess the the bigger question here, Rex, is of late, there seems to be a tendency from Rory McElroy to fade in those final chapters of the book. What do you see happening? Well, I see a player that's coming down the stretch and probably thinks about
2: things a little bit more than he used to if you want to get into the psyche that makes Rory McIlroy so special. I was taken taking last week in Dubai when he talked about maybe using the driver less simply because it was situational and he felt like maybe he was leaning on his driver so much. I don't understand that because, again, that's your number one weapon. Why shy away from it? You can look at what happened on 18 and say, okay, it was a bad play. He should have laid it up, tried to make birdie you know, the conventional way. I don't know if that's right when it comes to Roy McElroy. What he brings to the table is so special. Don't shy away from that. In these particular situations, if you look at what he did here versus what he did late last year when he kind of did the same thing in the desert, ripped his shirt, there was a lot of anger coming down the stretch, I think it might have been a little bit of a different situation. And I'll go back to the Ryder Cup because of how emotional he was on that Sunday about what he learned about himself. This goes back to last year. Again, we're not going to see that out of Rory McIlroy on this Sunday, on this particular Sunday, although if you stayed with the shot, it looked like he was going to snap that club over his knee up until his caddy, Harry Diamond, was able to get it out of his hands. There is anger. There is frustration. I think he's learned to handle it better, process it better, but there is still something on a Sunday. I have said this before. He's the greatest player that
0: I don't know what you're going to get on a Sunday afternoon. Which is is odd, and I, I sometimes wonder if it's because of the standard of Rory McIlroy to a certain extent, a smaller percentage, obviously, but the same thing was with Tiger Woods in terms of what we expect. He still finished alone, right, but shot behind that playoff. Let's take a look at some of the numbers that speak to what we're discussing here. Entering the final round inside the top 10 since the beginning of 2020. 21 times. That's the bar. That's the standard. He has closed only two times. Rounds at par or worse, however, Eleven times and his scoring average a seventy one point one four. So it's just, again, it's just interesting to me, Rex, that there's there's clearly something happening in those final holes that's getting in his head, and you think it may be just too much. And I think if we go back to a couple
2: years ago, we were probably asking him the uncomfortable questions about why are you having such a hard time starting well, because he would struggle on Thursdays and Fridays, and then something would click on the weekend. He'd find a way to get himself into the top ten, but you always knew that he wasn't in it. Now it seems like the opposite has happened. We know that Rory, Ma- Ra- Rory McElroy spends a lot of time examining himself, looking at what he can do better. And I think in this particular case... He may be
0: overthinking some things, especially on a Sunday afternoon. You know, it's interesting, too, because it, with Rory McElroy, the critics at times will say, well, he doesn't want it bad enough. I'm wondering if what we're seeing is a reflection of wanting it too much. I think he has talked about this recently, about maybe wanting
2: it too much, maybe being a little too tough on himself, maybe about giving himself a break when he doesn't have his best stuff. I don't know where his mind's at now on the flight home after that particular loss, because again, it was an opportunity. And for you not to get it done and to be that caliber, caliber of player, it's going to be it's going to continue to be something that he's
0: going to struggle Well, I mean, we saw it the week before, too. Yeah. When he, when he, it was a hook that did it the week before, too. And that was a slow start. If you look at what he did to start the year, Thursday
2: and Friday was slow, and then he was able to pull it together on the weekend. So it seems to me that he's dealing with a variety of
0: things. Yeah, I guess the question then for Rory McIlroy is, where do we go from here? Is this something that you commend back stateside and kind of settle down with some familiar confines once again? Not that he wasn't very familiar with where he was the last couple of weeks. I think so. And as he gets back towards comfortable things,
2: although it's impossible for me to say that Dubai is not comfortable to him because he's had so much success. He lived there, there. He lived there and he certainly had plenty of success there. I think as you start talking about getting into places in the United States where maybe he feels a little bit more comfortable. Yeah. However, again, I'll put the caveat on here. The conversation and the noise isn't going to get quieter as we get closer to the masters. It's only going to get louder as far as True. is he going to finally get that green jacket. So it's something he's going to have to deal with internally. He's really good, I think, about dealing about holding out the noise. He doesn't particularly care what people say about him externally. I think it's internally that he has a hard time dealing with it, especially in this particular situation when he knows he had a really good opportunity.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting the, that that it was the hook off the tee that's got him in trouble the last couple of weeks as well. Something for us to keep an eye on as we move forward. Talking about moving forward, still to come, John Rahm and Torrey Pines. They go together like uh, peanut butter and jelly. Another incredible performance out of the world number one this week, although we fell just short of the trophy. Winners who didn't win. Coming up.
4: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this
5: juicy gem of a detour.
0: Welcome back to Golf Today. One hour down, one hour to go. Lydia Ko with her 17th LPGA Tour win. She'll be joining us on Golf Today, coming up in just a little while.
1: Golf Today, brought to you by PointsBet.
0: Welcome in, one and all. Matt and Rex here with you. Are you the type that when the snowstorms are hitting, particularly up north, you put the weather channel on? So you can appreciate that you're not up there? Uh, no, I'm from Florida. I have no interest in even seeing <laughs> snow. Trust me, I'm fine just being in Florida all the time. There were record-setting snowfall from Boston and all over the East Coast. And the whole time I'm, I'm seeing that, I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, we get to wake up and we get to watch golf in Dubai. Then we go into the LPGA. Then we go out to California and with the farmer's insurance. It, it, was, it was a buffet of golf. It really was. And and look, I I talked about
2: it. There's nothing better than a Saturday-Sunday finish when it comes to the PGA Tour, then straight into the DP World Tour and the LPGA. And they all delivered. They all were compelling for a lot of different reasons, a lot of big names. It was fun. Who were you pulling for in the football games? You switching over? Uh, I did a a little bit of switching over, I'm not going to lie. And uh, my teams did not win. I'm just going to leave it at that.
0: (laughs) That's fair enough. All right. Let's take a look at the leaderboard from the Farmers Insurance Open and how it all settled out. Luke List in that playoff over Will Zalatoris. He joined us earlier in the program. Just so cool to talk to Luke List. One way or another, we were going to get a first time winner on the PGA Tour. You can see John Rahm there, number three at 14 under par. So winners who didn't win. This was John Rahm in the final round. 17th hole. Does this look familiar to one U.S. Open? Toy Ponds, John Rahm making putts. Stop me if you've seen this. Fist pump, John Rahm. Got to have good vibes there. Yeah, does he like Tory or what? There's no doubt about that. Seven starts. He has two wins. 2017 Farmers Insurance Open in the 2021 U.S. Open. Thank you very much. Four top threes. Six top tens and a scoring average of 69.3. So, the funny thing with John Rahm, and I'm not taking anything away from his prowess at Torrey Pines, but this is also John Rahm. John Rahm has, has won in the desert. He's won on Lynx golf courses. He's he can obviously perform and win here and play well and finish a stroke out of the playoff. John Rahm's keeping on, keeping on.
2: It's funny, how T3 can somehow be some sign of failure, even when John Rahm at Toy Ponds, because he's had so much success there. I'm sure he was disappointed because that place means so much to him and he's accomplished so much. So he got engaged there. So when you look at where it's always going to rank, when he thinks about the places he's been on the PGA Tour, it's always going to be high. But I think the bigger picture for John Rahm is just what he's done this season. He opened up the season in Maui with a runner-up finish. Tied for 14th in Palm Springs. He clearly wasn't happy with the putting contest that was going on out there, but now a tie for third. I was just, I'm taken by the idea that, look, there is no rust. When he showed up, I remember having a long conversation with him in Palm Springs about not only did he not feel like he was going to have any rust, he couldn't understand why I was even asking him if there was going to be any rust. Because in his mind, it's not as though he stopped playing golf. And this is just a continuation of that. I don't think there's going to be any pause whatsoever. Again, the Victor Hovland conversation, world number one, that's all great, and it can happen, but he's got to get to that guy first.
0: That, that guy, John Rahm, talking to you about... I, and I, I remember that conversation, give and take, that you had with John Rahm, because I was amazed that there was no sign of Russ. And this was from the Ryder Cup. He said, look, I'm kind of shutting it down. I'm, I'm spending time with my family. I'm going to recharge my body and my mind. Let's talk about the latter for a second. His strength of mind...
2: His strength of mind, and again, this is something I was taking. This was actually off camera in, in Palm Springs. We had a chance to have this conversation. He had mentioned keeping a journal. So after I did my interview, I was just curious. what things, Really? What things do you write in your journal? And he went on and just talked about his feelings. And it's in an every single thing day. It's in every single day. Thing that he does. And I asked him, do you physically write in a journal or do you thumb these things into the phone like the rest of us do? And he goes, no, I have to write it down. And he stopped and he goes, and I use pen, black pen, because he
0: wants it to be absolute. And it's just a way for him to get his thoughts on paper and to learn from them. It's it's fascinating to see what John Rahm is doing. Number one in the world, and he's number one in the world for a reason. You've heard Rex mention it a couple of times already in today's show. Whether it's Victor Hovland or anybody else who's going to challenge him for that throne, whenever somebody goes to number one, especially during this time in the game of golf where we have seemingly parity, he seems like he's settled in there for a while. He's capable of doing it. And I really think
2: when you look, I'll go back to the Ryder Cup again. He was the highlight for that European team. I mean, he was such a stud and delivered and was the one of the things that... The, Another Spanish Ryder the, Cup yes. hero. And it was just a continuation over what he had done. I mean, he's so impressive. I don't know if there's any limitations to what he can accomplish, not just on the golf course, but I just think physically in his mind, he can see
0: there's so much room for improvement. He's going to continue to heap head in that direction. Absolutely fascinating. We'll see how it plays itself out. Now, Jason Day was, was another uh, really a breath of fresh air to see that he was playing well again, seemingly playing without pain. And again, another player who had a really, really good week and a player that really needed it. I had an
2: opportunity to catch up with Jason just a few weeks ago in Palm Springs and really asked him about what his goals are for this season. And it was fascinating for me to see where his head was at.
4: I really haven't uh, written down any goals, really, to be honest. I mean, mainly um, they've been kind of, I guess they're related to golf, but it's more so like kind of swinging in a way that doesn't hurt my back. Um, I know that the last two years have been a big struggle just to try and get through four rounds so um, I feel good about where the
2: body is right now and then obviously just slowly building off that. What is the state of your game both health wise and swing wise?
4: Yeah it's just difficult because when you uh, when you struggle with an injury then it, it obviously bleeds into, uh, into your game so um, overall I feel good about my body so I'm just uh, looking for some confidence back in the game and you know some results from there and then get things going.
0: So this was Jason Day at 14 Rex watch this the swing and balance taking the pressure off the back and spit it back in the hole for an eagle Jason Day. (laughs) We talked about all the success John Rahm has had on this golf course Jason's had a little bit as well. The new Jason Day that right there reminded us a lot of the old Jason Day. Worldwide performance since 2018 in his Wells Fargo Championship victory. 77 starts, one top three, 17 top tens, 23 missed cuts, tied for third at the Farmers Insurance Open. So from the Jason Day that you spoke to in that cut to the Jason Day that we're looking at right now, Is this an ascension? Is this a continuation? Is this the work that he's doing with Como and that the the swing is not putting pressure on his back?
2: You could not see my face because I was the one holding the microphone in that conversation, but it was shock. It was pure shock on my face simply because I met Jason Day, really enjoyed meeting him when he was 16 years old. He was still an amateur, hadn't turned pro in Australia. From that day I met him, he had some sort of injury. Throughout his career, he has struggled with an assortment of injuries. It, the conversation always talks about how do you feel? How's your elbow? How's your wrist? How's your leg? It's always been something. So for him to tell how's me How's
0: your neck? How's the vertigo? He's keep just, going.
2: Yeah. Keep going. Yeah, there's a long list going on here. But for him to tell me that what him and Como did during the offseason was really specifically geared towards not so much what he can do with his game. We all know what he can do with his game when he's healthy. It was really about how can we keep him healthy? How can we keep him upright? for 72 holes week in and week out. And Como's had experience with this before, with Tiger Woods. I mean, there's a reason why Tiger went with Como at that stage in his career. He was trying to fight around and swing around an injury. It was so refreshing just to hear Jason Day say that in Palm Springs,
0: but then to follow it up like he did at Toy Pine. But you you said that we know what he can do with his game. Do you think not so much what we as, as golf fans were thinking about what he was capable of, He spoke about the confidence that his body and how he's feeling plays into his ability to perform because of what he thinks he can do. Because he's been there before. He's been to world number
2: one. He's won major championships. There is still a level of confidence down there. I've always argued that you can lose your health and you can lose your status, but you're never going to lose that essence that makes you a world-class player. I don't think that's ever left him. I think what's left him is his ability just to go out and practice
0: and do the things he needs to do to get back to that level. Were you happy to see him uh, performing so well again? It seemed like there was a lot of buzz around it.
2: I, I think so. I mean, look, he's great for the game. I remember one of the yeah. funnest quotes, and I was thinking about this when we were just showing the highlight, is they, they asked him, what part of your game is more like Jordan and what part of your game, and this is at the height of his powers, is more like Roy McIlroy, and he says, I'm kind of the child of both of them. And it's true. He could do all of those things that Rory could do power-wise, and when he was on his game, no one made more 25 footage than he did. Oh, that's true. He had a gift with the putter as well.
0: Welcome back to Golf Today on Sunday at the Gainbridge LPGA at Boca Rio. Co-added win number 17 for Lydia to her mantle on the LPGA Tour. She becomes the first player to reach 17 wins before the age of 25 since Nancy Lopez captured her 17th title in 1979. Let's look at wins by the range of years for Lydia Ko. There you can see from 2012 Rex to 2016, 14 wins amassed in her teenage years. From 17 to 20, a bit of the valley there at one, and then for 21 and 22, already two. Absolute delight to say hello, welcome, congratulations to Lydia Co who's joining us right now. So, Lydia, after you got done, you had the great quote where you said cocktails were an element of the celebration following. How was the celebration following? How are you feeling?
5: Um, well, we actually had to drive back home uh, here to Orlando. Um, I was never... Pl- planning to play this week uh, in Fort Myers. So, yeah, we had a nice dinner in the car. Um, the golf club, uh, we just want to say thank you and um, hello. So I had a little shot of tequila and uh, champagne, which was a combination i never tried before. Um, and I was ple- pleased to say I actually really liked that. And then I realized I actually had to still do a press conference um so yeah i mean even if i knew that i don't think i would have still denied the drink i still would have gone but i had a little bit more of the alcohol glow going
2: (laughs) (laughs) lydia your swing coach sean foley is always one for messages and he's very very simple the message that apparently he sent you this week is a quote every day every shot you have a chance and a choice what did that mean to you
5: yeah, I think that's a quote um, from Kobe, and um, I it is so true. Like you know, when we're out there playing, you know, I there's so many emotions that go through. Whether that's just adrenaline, excitement, you know, nerves, um, frustration, and I think when he told he sent me that quote. Uh, I think I was just able to embrace it. I think I try and tell myself to, Hey, just embrace the situation, just embrace each and every moment when you're out there. And then, you know, so many thoughts and, you know, emotions will go through me. And then it is literally my choice, um, what to do with it. And, you know, I think Kobe said like to understand, accept and embrace it. And, you know, there's no other, um, he is one of the uh, best athletes in the world. So I think that, and for Sean to send me that, I think that was kind of a great mindset for me to take, um, not only for the weekend, but also, you know, for the rest of my career. So I wrote that on my yardage book.
0: That's awesome. Lydia, I, I want to reel back the years for a second. You are still a very young 24 years old. It's hard to believe that it was 10 years ago that you won for the first time. Now, obviously, that was a different Lydia Co. But I'm curious when you look back on that Lydia Co. that won at a prolific rate through those years, and the Lydia Co. you are now, how have you changed?
5: Um, I don't have the glasses <laughs> anymore. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, a lot of things have happened uh, since then, and I think all those experiences make me the person that I am today, right? And um, you know, I think when I was out there playing LPGA events as an amateur, I just wanted to experience what it was like playing on the tour that i had always dreamt of playing and playing alongside the best female golfers and where I should what I needed to do to kind of take my game to that level and for me like every single time was hey you know I'm trying to make the cut and let's see from there and now I think you know there's been you know ups and downs and I think I've been able to really learn from that and I think some of the best learning experiences was when I wasn't playing as well and I think now I realize I'm trying to realize more that golf doesn't define me and you know even if golf doesn't go that great you know that day you know that shouldn't affect how I perceive myself or how I just perceive my day so I think I'm able to like embrace it a little bit better Um, maybe when I was younger it was a little bit more um, more uh, I guess more like a teenager just you know having fun and not really sure like what everything else is going on and I actually said when I won for the first time in Canada I don't think I actually was able to like experience exactly what it was like because I don't think it had sunk in yet and If I like for me, a win now is it's more like touching. And I think I definitely get more emotional about it um, at that time than probably when I was younger.
0: You you spoke, you used the phrase, Lydia, of when you weren't playing as well during that period of time when you weren't playing as well. How much was confidence uh, something that you were dealing with? Did you struggle with confidence? Did you ever wonder if you'd be back at the height of your game again?
5: Yeah, I think confidence was um, definitely not my strong suit. I think that happened on the golf course and off the golf course as well. And I think I really connected like my identity to golf, and you know, I started losing belief in in myself and you know just the way I talked. And I think confidence in general and the self esteem was not. Very high Um, but then I think meeting Sean he definitely helped me to kind of clear out some of those questions and I've been very fortunate for my family to just always keep me grounded and just keep me going and I think um, now if I ever go back in that kind of situation again I think I would be able to like uh, go through it a lot better and um, just because you know, of the people that I surround myself with and also just because I know what I went through that I wouldn't want to go down that path again.
2: Now, going back to that, and we showed the graphic of the years where you did struggle a little bit. I would be curious that now that you have come out the other side of that, is there more joy when you win, when you're able to do what you were able to do on Sunday?
5: Um, I don't think there's necessarily more more joy now, um, than then. I think yeah, I you know I'm super excited that I was able to win uh, you know, yesterday and then to me winning in Hawaii was a huge confidence booster and more proof to myself that hey, I can be back in the winner's circle and I feel like every time you know I put myself in contention and you keep knocking on the door, at one point it's going to open. So I think that's kind of been the mindset of it all. But at the same time, I think it goes to the other way where I don't get like, yes, me winning, it makes me so happy. And it's great because it's like happiness for my whole team and my family as well. And But at the same time, I don't like, let that, like, take me on, like, too much of, like, a cloud nine. And, you know, I'm still going to work on the same things with my coach. And, you know, just let that be more of a motivation, uh, you know, for my future events.
0: Lydia, after your victory, you told us that you were channeling a quote from John Rahm. I think it came from Instagram, if I'm not mistaken. What was it that John Rahm put out there that helped you?
5: I'm on Instagram way too much, so it's actually a good thing that I was able to get something from it. Um, yeah, you know, John Rahm, I think he's. I can't remember the exact what his quote was, but he said he wasn't uh, one of the best ball strikers when he was in college. And um, he said, sometimes, like, you know, we're trying to play like a perfect score, perfect game, and there is no perfect game, right? And he said, it's more about just like trying to play golf and trying to play, shoot the best score you can um, in the situation you put it and I think I too sometimes like try and play it so perfectly that I become more controlling than rather play, um, play in the situation I can and just play freely and I think that really helps me and that's part of my game that I'm trying to get better at is that yes like hitting more fairways and greens that's actually a big goal of mine this year but let like just me missing a fairway like don't let that affect me and. Make that uh become more of a spiral for the next few shots,
0: Lydia Co on a one to ten scale, where are you for the happiness scale in that in that range?
5: um I think I'm very happy um one to ten ten i mean nice. <laughs> um you know. <laughs> if If I say like a five, everyone that' watching is like, oh, okay, like what what? <laughs> but no, I think ten. Um, I'm very grateful my sister and my mom and you know, my trainer, my physio, and having my first win with Derek also um was was great. and you know, just, seeing everybody like that has sent like congratulations like just getting all the support it just shows that like sometimes i think we feel like really alone right and i think just to know that there are people like that are always thinking of us and that you know no journey you're going down like alone and i think that is a huge uh like help for me and you know really means a lot so yeah i am very happy um and i think this is Hopefully a start to another fun year and, uh, you know, I'm just going to keep working at it and, you know, keep knocking on that door.
0: We're super excited about everything that lies in store for you. Thank you very much for your time today.
5: Oh, no, thank you for having me.
0: Pleasure. That was very cool indeed. Let's take a look at his timeline and Rolex rankings for Lydia Ko. June 11th 2017 number one in the world and there you can see the dip where she wasn't playing so well as she phrased it dropping as low as 55th in the world and at the end of 2021 back to third it was another wild weekend in the world of sports as a couple of goats made some pretty big headlines from Brady to Nadal we dive into the iconic talent we've been lucky to witness during our lifetime Welcome back to Golf Today. Two worlds took over Twitter on Saturday. Tom Brady, who's reported that the seven-time Super Bowl champion is expected to retire. Our friends at PointsBet saying, quote, there's a silver lining. Now we'll get to see more of Tom Brady on the golf course, end quote. And what about this? Meanwhile, at the Australian Open, another that's called a goat was getting the job done. Spain's Rafael Nadal winning a record-breaking 21st Grand Slam title. Here's what fellow Spaniard John Rahm had to say about the legend.
3: I get lucky enough to play around the golf with him, and then I've gone to a few tennis events, and we've met afterwards. He is an avid golf fan. He plays a lot of golf. A lot, (laughs) a lot, a lot of golf. You know, he's one of those that in between tournament days he's playing golf or before and after he might be playing golf. He's an absolute nut. I know... His passions are tennis, golf, and Real Madrid, right? Everywhere he goes, he needs to make sure he can watch Real Madrid, make sure he can play golf, and obviously the tennis is taken care of, right? So um, he, uh, you know, like I said, he's a great example for a lot of us. His attitude towards tennis, it's it's really incredible. His determination and his grade is unmatched on the court. So, you know, it's a lot, of, a lot to learn from Rafa Nadal. All right, Rex,
0: get ready to light it up. Lots of tweets like this from YouTuber and professional ultimate Frisbee player Marquise Brownlee going around this weekend saying, quote, this will ruffle some basketball feathers, but I feel pretty lucky to have witnessed in so many major sports in my lifetime. All these goats, he's saying, Brady, did you see Woods, James, Hamilton, Federer and Nadal. He's throwing in a couple of of male tennis players and more, Hussein Bolt. So, as I said, get ready to light it up, because I, I have a philosophy that when it comes to one's perception of the greatest of all time, obviously it's almost impossible to clearly and definitively define one error against another for a whole variety of different reasons. So we tend to define the greatest of all time by our own error, by our own little slice. Am I getting close? No, I think there has to be a recency bias in whatever you do.
2: We were just having the conversation. Is I can have a conversation with my 19-year-old son that Michael Jordan was the best ever to play the game, and he will disagree with me until the day he dies because what his recency bias is, King James. He has watched LeBron James (laughs) do these amazing things. It's the same way I felt about Michael Jordan, growing up watching him play the game at such a level. You're absolutely right. I think golf is a little different on this front, and you're going to agree with me on this. is because... The generations seem to overlap, and we can sit here and have the conversation. I don't know if I'm going to agree with you on this. About Jack Nicklaus and Tiger Woods, and it is a fun conversation. It's the thing that we we do on Monday mornings around water coolers, and it's great that this has come up. However, I don't know in this particular case.
0: He listed three tennis players as the GOAT. I think my definition, well, you could only Well, there's two male tennis one. players, but then yes. Serena. Yes. Serena alone on the female side of the game. But don't dodge the primary question. You just brought it up. Tiger and Jack. Oh, I think it has to Who's go. To...
2: Yeah, in this context, it has to go to major championships, and I would only say that because I have heard those words come out of Tiger Woods' mouth in a different context. But I have heard those words. It was the year that Padraig Harrington won the Player of the Year vote, and Tiger was asked, "Who did you vote for?" And it was Padre And he goes, "Why? He had two majors. I believe he had one. That would have been 2008. So it was as simple as that. It was math. It was he has two. I had one this year. He's the greatest player ever, or at least this year. I'd make the same argument about Jack." Now, maybe it's not over. Maybe it is. We can have that's a bigger debate. But yeah. when you look at it,
0: Grand Slam titles, Jack Nicklaus has to be the GOAT. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so hard because, again, this comes down to comparing eras. And this is where I was saying I'm not sure I do agree because during it, see, the, the era of Jack Nicholas to me runs from 1962 to 1986. And in that broad span in which he was battling against the likes of Palmer and Player to begin in Casper in the 1960s and all host of others until the 1970s when he had the likes of Trevino and Johnny Miller and Tom Watson and more, there was more. I think it was a bar fight at the top end of the game in those days, but it didn't have the depth of the fields that Tiger Woods competed against. Tiger winning 18 times in 15 majors Against that, So when you try to take in what – and I get one has 18 and one has 15. When you look at the final score, one would appear to have a win and one would appear to have a loss. I just think it's really hard to put one above the other when you look at the entirety of the career because of the depth of the modern game. And the game was so vastly
2: different between – even just between the time that Jack Nicklaus played and the time that Tiger Woods played. So it is hard – to sort of compare those two generations. And when you say Jack Nicklaus, again, this comes down to the as simplest a form as you can possibly make it, major championships in this particular case, just because I feel like that's where Tiger Woods would be leaning. And as far as the conversation goes about quality of field, I've heard it for both ways. I've heard it from both sides. That oh, Jack didn't compete against as many players as Tiger did in his prime, and then the other way around. I don't know where I would land on that one because I simply think that would be impossible for me to do. The world ranking didn't exist. When, right. when Jack Nicholas was around, it's impossible for us to figure out, his, oh, okay, Lanny Watkins would have ranked here compared to the modern player.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating. It is absolutely fascinating. I, I actually think that time frame I gave you, 6,286 86 was one of the golden eras of the game. But I also think that we're in a golden era right now with, if you look at the number of players that are probably destined eventually for the Hall of Fame. It's fascinating. I, for me personally, when, when I look for a definitive GOAT, I don't care the sport, a definitive GOAT, I look at someone like the Great One. Wayne Gretzky, because I think even to this day it's unimpeachable for, for someone to say he wasn't the greatest hockey player of all time in the NHL. Well, now you're just going to get singled out on Twitter for making some sort of nonsense like that. I will say Lewis
2: nonsense. Hamilton might be a recency bias, but he did uh, lose to Max Verstappen, so we, you can always have that conversation right there. There's, and again, this is, this is why Monday mornings are so great after a situation like this. And Uh, Ryan Lavender and I had this conversation yesterday on our podcast when we were talking about when it comes to Tom Brady, and we were comparing those three specifically, Nadal, Tom Brady, and Tiger Woods. Win-loss for an NFL quarterback is really, really tough to say because the quarterback only has so much say in that particular case. So we took him out of the conversation, and I think you could probably make the argument that Nadal's not even the best, best player in the game right now. So I don't know how you can make that GOAT conversation as it applies to what Tiger Woods means to golf. He is by far, at least in my mind, the GOAT among that group, simply because there was a stretch, you can look at his golden era, and
0: it stretched for a very, very long time when no one was even close. You've covered every end of this argument so yeah. far. So give me, give me one GOAT, any sport, I don't care what it is, give me your one GOAT. Well, this is golf bias, because this is what we do, but having watched Tiger Woods in his prime, and my son's going
2: to yell at me when I get home about this, I'm sure, because he's going to disagree with me, but it has to be Tiger Woods in my mind. You just said it was Jack Nicholas two minutes ago. Because you're there. Because when you're watching it firsthand, when you've covered those 15 major championships that he's won and 80-something PGA Tour victories, it's hard to ignore. You've seen it up close and personal week in and week out. So the recency bias is, is okay. mine when that, it's for you. That's my recency bias. All right, bias. that's yes. what I figured.